Welcome to the Design Imposter Podcast, where we unravel the enigmatic realm of imposter syndrome. My name's Monique Jenkins. And I'm Jessica Vallis. We're two agency owners who've boldly faced the reality of imposter syndrome. We'll share relatable stories and practical insights that empower designers and business owners just like you. Together, we'll help you conquer self-doubt and unleash your true potential. Get ready to unveil your true brilliance. Welcome to Design Imposter. Welcome to another episode of Design Imposter. I'm Jessica Vallis, and on today's episode, Monique and I will discuss five signs that it's time for your business to upgrade your website. There are way more than five signs, but we'll start with the basics. All right. Because, of course, you guys should know at this point, Monique and I, we specialize in the website design, UX experience of everything. So if any of these tick your box, then it's probably time. The first one is your website takes ages to load. Um, Google Consumer Insights found that 53% of mobile site visitors will leave a page if it takes longer than three seconds to load. And mobile, or I'm sorry, and website conversion drops by full, almost four and a half percent with each second of load time that goes by. Um, so that's a lot of clickaways if your site is just not pulling up immediately. Agreed. I think a part of user experience is sometimes as simple as how long a page takes to load and knowing something as simple as how long it takes a page to load can help you create a better uh, experience for your user. Yeah, there's there's certain ways. There's like a couple key indicators right from the get-go. The first one is probably your image sizes. Um, if you're uploading an image in its original form, like you took a picture on your phone and you upload it just like that, it's going to be way, 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 way too big. And that's going to slow down the, the site speed. So a really simple, easy hack is just to open Canva, have something sized to the screen and just drag and drop that picture in there and then download it in the right format. The other thing you can do to speed up with the website um, speed in images is to Enable dot W-E-B-P, which is the web format of a photo. So it's no longer a JPEG. Um, and this will take the file size down from like 100 kilobytes down to like 10 kilobytes. So this is like standard on all my sites now. So that definitely decreases the time. Um, but there's also implications of slow speed with Google and SEO. And if that's Google will penalize you if it takes a long time for your site to load. Um, and it, it just bumps you down in the ranking. So if somebody's searching for your website and Google sees that it's taking a long time to load, then you know, you're just gonna go down. And there's different third-party sites you can use to check your website speed. Um, one that I use a lot is just legit called pagespeed.web.dev. You put your URL in and it'll tell you the site speed on your mobile versus your desktop. And then it'll it'll specifically tell you what is slowing your site down. Yeah. Um, I think that, so certainly check your images and make sure, because I think that's a problem that a lot of sites deal with is that they're uploading, you know, 300 DPI images um, as opposed to 72, which is standard. Uh, for web at least. And uh, it really does slow down your website and people do very much leave your site if it takes a long time. So 
I think something that I've done for past projects that are in like application funnels or something like that is I use an extra four or five seconds of time on mobile to relay information that someone needs to know. So if you are filling out an application to refinance your mortgage, um, it might take a few seconds to like pull back offers. And in those seconds, I use information. I use uh, that time to tell customers like how we generate offers or why we're going to present the offers that we're going to present to you. So sometimes it's about being very strategic. That's a point in your application funnel that there's a vested interest on the part of your client. So they might not be willing to leave in that specific space um, because they have a little bit more to like not lose, but they have a little bit more stake in the game. But uh, on your actual like dot com site, yeah, you got four or five seconds. Yeah, I mean, there's a difference that, between I'm out. yeah, there's a difference between me going to kayak dot com. That's my go to for flights and saying hold tight while we find the lowest prices. I'll hold tight for those lowest prices if it takes you like thirty seconds to find me a flight to Europe for six hundred dollars, but I can get those flights in one second and it's a thousand. I will wait those thirty seconds. <laughs> Yeah, I will do that. So it really it also depends on what the client is getting in return, like you said. But if you're just a standard dot com site and you're like, oh, come over here and buy my services. It's pretty standard. Then people could be like, no, it's just taking too long. I think clients are really surprised by those numbers to find out that people leave sites so quickly. I mean, just I mean, think of your own patience level, though, you know. I mean, I don't think I generally run into this too often anymore where I'm like, I need information right now. I'm going to click away. I'm going to click away. But there are some people who are like that. And those might be the clients that need the service right away. Those people are me. I need it right now. <laughs> you got some seconds to give me. I feel like, I won't speak for everyone, but I feel like it is a good majority of people just because the society in which we live, everything is very instantaneous. You can access information at the tip of your fingers. And when it takes someone along, takes a website a long time to do something. And even the way that we think about like customer service, we're like, we want our food hot, we want it fast, and we want to be gone. And we like, we just sometimes don't want interactions. Like everybody wants everything like right this second. Um, I think that's how, that's a pattern of behavior across like almost all the things that we do right now is that I should have it right this second, especially with like Amazon packages. Let me tell you something. Every time I be, when they're like, we can get you your package by 7 a.m. I'm like, oh, of course you should be able to get my package at 7 a.m. <laughs> See, and I'm not thinking of- I'm over here like, oh, do the least number of packages so I can be, you know, economically friendly or economically friendly. I'm actually least a couple of packages, girl. I'm like, nope, give me that today, right this second. <laughs> I'll figure out the rest of that stuff later. But like it something as simple. I, I I do think that we are a very instantaneous society and we'd like things like very quickly or or right now. Um and I'm at least one of those people who's like, why is it taking so long for the site to load? They must have had a bad, you know, designer. These images aren't programmed right. Uh, the engineer didn't code efficiently. Like I'm thinking of all the scenarios like as a business owner as to why it's taking me so long to get the information from this site. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's not the website. Sometimes it's your internet connection and like you're in a funky place or whatever the case is. But I'm very much a like, give it to me now person. Yeah. I have a couple clients where they'll be like, they'll call me and be like, Jessica, it's it's not loading. It's not loading. And I'm like, okay, hold on. Let me pull up the site. I'm like, it just came right up. 
oh, okay, because it's taken a really long time for me. I guess I have to call Verizon again or I have to call Comcast again. I'm like, I mean, the site's up. <laughs> I yep. You know, so your internet speed definitely plays a role. But also uh, sloppy code is another big contributor, um, whether that's HTML and CSS. Um, they have to be very deliberate and minimized. So your browser doesn't need to read line by line of what your website is. It should know that when it goes to your site, every H1 is formatted the same. It should know that all the paragraph text is formatted the same way. And this is very basic backend, three lines of code kind of a thing, one and done. But if you're manually going into line by line by line and, or this is a big one, if you copy and paste your text from Microsoft directly into your website, that's bringing Microsoft code over. You just don't know it. So you always need to clear the formatting before you do. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's dragging extra lines of code in there. And then if you're like a developer on the back end, um, maybe you want to override a setting and you use this um, exclamation point important line at the end of your code. So if most of your header tags are um, like blue, for example, and on very specific pages, you want them to be red. And the code, the site is reading it as, okay, all headers need to be blue. And then you get to the special page and it's like, no, it's still blue. You use this important tag and it tells the, the browser to override this setting so that you can see it in red. But if you do mm -hmm. that too often, it confuses the browser and it has to read through all these lines of code to figure out what color it actually needs to be. I mean, that's just like a basic example of it, but. Interesting. Yeah, I, I've worked on a couple websites where like ineffective code certainly slowed down the site. Uh, I agree with you reading. If the, if the program has to read every single line of code, uh, it becomes a little bit cumbersome. But I also think that that's why you should leverage things like QAing your site before it goes live so that you can start to address some of those things. Because if it's slow for you, it's probably slow for other people. So doing a little bit of due diligence and QAing every page of your site to make sure things are good before you push it out live to prod where customers have to interact with it. Um, I've seen fonts, like if you have like five or six different fonts that you're pulling from like Google fonts on your site, like I've seen that slow down a website, even though there are like secondary fonts that you certainly can put in. Like yeah. I've seen a font family of 30 is going to slow. Oh yeah. Know, it's best things. to disable those fonts and just upload or isolate the ones that you're going to use. Um, and I think there's a million other like websites besides like Google Analytics that you can look at in order to, you know, understand the amount of time that it takes for a page to load. Or uh, one thing that I tell people is like, there could be some pages of your website that are a little bit slow to load. Uh, but the pages that more people are going to, those are the pages that you want to focus uh, your efforts on as far as like minimizing the amount of time that it takes those pages to load. So maybe your actual like homepage takes a second to load, but I don't know if someone's vested enough in your business. If your you know, um, contact form takes you know four seconds to load, they're vested enough that like maybe that four seconds is worth it for them, and they will go ahead and continue forward. Yeah, and there's actually a couple of optimization plugins out there where you can check this button, and it'll preload the site before your client goes to the next page. So um, that's that's something to look into. I mean, it, you know, it does it on the first click. So um, 
that initial load might be a little slow, but then once you're on the page and you're reading through the content, like the rest of the site is loading in the background. So the second thing is functionality or the overall usefulness of your website. Aside from the text, can users find and access the content they need to make an informed decision? Yeah, this is 100% correct. Like, um, as well as load time. If it's hard for me to find information, I'm out. Um, I think that this is what people should be using card sorting for. Uh, and if you're not familiar, card sorting is a UX research method in which you get participants to group labels written on note cards according to the criteria that makes sense to them. Um, so it helps your audience segment. So you, you have your demographics, you know who your audience is. It helps them to um, construct how they want to receive information. Uh, and this will help you to uncover like what the domain knowledge is, how they expect for things to be structured. Uh, and it serves your as your information architecture and it matches what your users' expectations are. Because I think that sometimes when you build a website with clients, they have a idea of what they want the top nav line structure to be. But if it makes sense to you and it doesn't make sense to anyone else, it doesn't make sense. So I don't necessarily want to build the site the way that you want me to build it as a person who owns the business because you're not your user, um, which I say way too often to too many people. But you are not the person who you are targeting. You don't fit into the demographic and you're not the person that you need to be in order to use your site. You need to be getting those insights from people who are actually coming to your website and looking at those things. So if you build something the way that you think it should be built, it might not be how anyone else thinks that it should be built. So you could put, I don't know, you can nest your like homepage under contact form because that makes sense for you. But if that doesn't make sense to anybody else who comes to your site, people are only going to click around for so much time, depending on how important, you know, being on their site is for you. If it's a mortgage application, like I was talking about earlier, maybe they're a little bit more vested because uh, they're going to be saving some type of money or that's the intention is to pull equity out of their home. Um, but if it's just a normal site, I probably, you got a couple clicks. And then I'm you like, got, I, I can't think it's a three-click rule. They yeah. need to be able to find the information they want within three clicks. So what are a few things business owners can look at right now and say, okay, my site doesn't have ABC, therefore I need to have a revision, or I tend to do this a lot when I really should be doing blank? Uh, I have a question here, uh, and I'm actually in the process of working on this right this second. Um, and I call it the five W's. Uh, it's a list of who, what, when, where, and why questions that you need to ask in order to properly design your website. And um, I think in each one of those categories, if you could answer some basic kind of questions about who your uh, your person is or, or why they're here, then you can start to revise your site based on the answers to those questions. Because I think, again, I've, I've seen people want to do design revisions for fun. They're not fun. They're never fun. Um, they look nice. I and, think they're and, fun. They're not fun. They're not. Fun. <laughs> Just I enjoy fun. it. Yeah. I, I'm not saying that we, as like super nitpicky designers, don't see the value in it. But enjoy. Those are strong words in my book. Okay, I enjoy <laughs> brownies after dinner. That's an enjoyment. I enjoyed the margarita. How about I had you? Like what night. you do for that. your job? You like I your do. job. I do. <laughs> It's not I, the same like, like as brownies do. and cookies and cupcakes, but it's a like. Exactly. Do you um, like like but, me or do you just like me? Just just like you. Um, so, 
But uh, yeah, I, I use the five W's, who, what, when, where, why, and I ask questions in order to properly design the site. So, you know, um, some of those questions is like, who's your core audience segment? Like, you know, what are they coming to your site for? Where do they intend for information to be structured or how they want that information to be structured? Where should things kind of be placed? And then why is the order of this? Or why is this information, you know, necessary for a customer to like adjust to? And I think until you answer those questions, you'll never structure your site in the way that it should be or the way that people want it to. But I also think that's what user testing is for. That You can use a user testing platform to figure out what information people want in the respective sections so that they feel comfortable moving forward. So again, back to my analogy about like, you know, refinancing a mortgage. Um, one of the things that would hesitate me that if I didn't see this on their site is like how easy their application flow is. So I want to know, you know, how long this process is going to take. If it says it's going to take five minutes and it in actually ends up taking five hours, I might not see that as being a valuable interaction. Um, so that's a, a purpose. Those questions to me help you to um, think about how you would revise your site and what you should do and in what order you should do them. Yeah, I I talked about this before where I do a design questionnaire at the start of all my projects with my clients. And I, I even do this exercise every year with some of my clients because as they work within their business, they come to understand their clients and what their clients are after more. So my questionnaire usually starts off with, why have you started this business? What are your key services? And then it goes into, why are clients coming to you? What makes you different than them? What specific problems are you solving? And we get into like the nitty gritty of what the client wants and why. And when, if, how do you feel about people not being able to answer those questions? Because I think that like we start those questionnaires at the beginning of the process because it's important to us to understand that information before we move forward. But I think there are a lot of businesses out there who don't have the answers to those questions. So what would you think about a project where someone's like, yeah, I can't really answer those things? It really depends on the scale of the project. Like if it's a thousand dollar project and you're like, well, I don't really know, then I'm just going to build you a pretty site. But if you're paying me a lot of money to build you an effective site, then we sit down, we do this whole thing together and we'll review the questions you've answered. And then I poke and prod and go even deeper. So like, um, I'm just pulling up my questionnaire now to see some of the things. So like, what is your, what is your client currently struggling with? Like, um, oh, they don't have any problems right now. Okay, so then why do they need your service? Yeah. Oh, okay, because uh, they have trouble with budgeting and monetary concerns. Okay, what about their budgeting? Um, I don't really know. Okay, so but why can't they get a mortgage? Let's talk about that. And mm -hmm. so I, I poke and prod so we can get down to the specifics and then we can direct the user to the information they need. Because you might just be providing, if you're just saying, oh, we're, we're going to provide a mortgage, that's great. But if your client has monetary concerns or they're not good with budgeting, you need to walk them through and use language that addresses them and their concerns so that they can get from point A to point B and feel confident in your product or service. Agreed. There's a, um, I can't remember where I found this. I think I found it on Rachel Rogers. Uh, who is a phenomenal public speaker um, and uh, she has like a, a millionaire's club or something like that that I was a part of for a bit. Um, 
And uh, they have a very similar uh, checklist to the ones that we give questionnaires that we give to clients about friendships, um, where it's like, if you haven't talked to this person in the past 12 months, why are they still around? If you had a family emergency, could you trust this person to watch your children? Why are they still around? If this person has been your friend for 20 years, but you guys, you know, have grown apart or done different things, why are they still around? So asking the right questions, it's like a friendship evaluation, which I think is hilarious. Um, I have another friendship like, evaluation real quick. It's, it's much simpler. One, okay. it's like your trustworthiness. And if someone's just a friend, an acquaintance, or like a bestie, and it's like, yeah. one, would you trust this person with a puppy? And the second one what is could you have a beer with this person? And so when I think of like some of my neighbors, I'm like, I would trust them with a puppy, but I would never have a drink with them. Or the other person is like, I would never, I don't think I would do either of them. And then you're like, okay, you caught in who that person. Yeah. Yeah. But evaluate your, your circles, even with questionnaires. Um, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Question your friendships and your very family um, members. You can't keep everybody around for everything. Uh, and there are specific friends for specific paths. Um, but yes, I um, I think the questionnaire is valuable in helping the client make some discernments that they might not necessarily have put pen to paper to. They might know the answer to some of those things, but they just might not have like articulated them in a way that's understandable or digestible for them to relay what they're looking for from us as designers, but also the way that they need to communicate that information to their client or their customer. Real quick side note about functionality and the usefulness of a website. Can we talk about Pinterest recipes? If I want to know how to make like a keto dessert, I don't need to hear about your entire keto journey. I yes. just want to know how much erythritol to put into something and how much cocoa powder. <laughs> like, let's skip the backstory. I'm so glad you lost weight. I'm so glad that your grandma was able to help you, tr you know, translate this recipe from like ancient history family thing to this now new diet thing. I don't care. Just show maybe. me the recipe. Um, and I think maybe they do that so you have to scroll and stay on the page longer. So yeah. they might try that, to cheat the system there and the keywords, yeah. of course. That jump to recipe button saved your life every single time. Every time I see one, I'd be like, I don't need this backstory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't want to know. <laughs> Just show me the recipe. I'm just trying to make peach cobbler, guys. I don't want to talk about nothing else but peach cobbler. That's what's on my mind right now. Yeah. All every single time I go to a website and there's like 50 like paragraphs of words before I get the recipe, I'll be like, man, this recipe probably ain't no good anyway. <laughs> yeah, don't don't show me a picture of your grandma. I don't care about your grandma. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh, Nana looks very nice. Anyway, where's the peach cobbler? <laughs> um, we're we're mean people also. <laughs> <laughs> but this kind of okay so the number three thing is the no clear call to action so if there is no call to action show me the recipe bye no but a call to action is a prompt that directs your user to the next steps they should take as they navigate your website whether it's a large click here to schedule your 15 minute meet and greet button or it's a click here to get your recipe click here to download our free guide these sections prompt website visitors on what they need to do next because your user is not going to be searching for that answer. They're not going page by page to figure out what the next step is or how to contact you or what form to fill out. So you should be delivering high value content and then showing them how to continue the conversation. Um, Agreed. What would you say is like the weakest call to action? And is there a trend that is most efficient? 
I think the weakest call to action is probably click here. It's so impersonal. Like you could literally be clicking on anything. Screen readers, uh, I'm sure that they hate those words because like, what are you clicking on? There's no, I don't understand what, like what this is. And if there are like 50 click here buttons on a page, like absolutely horrible. Can't, can't do it. I think that what you if have it's to something get like click here to meet the team and it's a little yeah. bit more descriptive. Yeah. So like those, I was going to say, if you get more specific uh, in how you want people to take action, a hundred percent, like I get it. Like, you know, click here is easy and simple, but no one knows what that means. And screen readers or other software that have to read your website, they don't know what they're clicking to. So being more descriptive, click here to meet the team or click here to download a book or whatever the case is, uh, is a much better call to action for people uh, than just the button of saying, or just saying click here on something. There are several types of different call to actions, um, and you should use them for lead generation, form submission. Um, obviously, there's like the read more button that will help educate. So there's like an education portion of it. There's the social sharing side of it, like find this useful, share with your friends. I don't think I ever do that. Like the things I want to share don't usually have a share button, but you know, it depends on what the content is. Then there's also like the lead nurturing, like, oh, let's have a call. Let's have the meet and greet. Um, And then there's also like, if you're hosting an event or um, an in-person thing, um, like an event promotion. And um, then there's some quizzes, which can actually kind of be a little fun. I've done a couple of them where it's like, let's see what kind of designer you are. You answer questions and then you get something sent to your email and then you just go unsubscribe from that newsletter. Um, But there's different ways. It doesn't have to go always to the contact page. Click here to contact us. It, It needs to make sense for what you're trying to get. It's all about what you're trying to get that user to accomplish. And it doesn't have to be to simply fill out a contact form. Yeah. Another one I think I hate is uh, request a demo. I hate that. Oh, yeah. Absolutely hate it. Just show me a video. Yeah. Just give me the video. I don't want to talk to a representative for the next 13 hours. I don't want them to be emailing me every other day. Hey, did you see my last email? Just bring this back up to the top of your email. I don't care. I just want the demo. I don't want to talk to you about nothing. I can tell you from the demo if this is going to happen or not. I do not need to sit on the phone with you to schedule a call or 15 minutes. And I don't need all the due diligence that needs to happen after that. I just need to see what this product is. I can see if it's useful for me. Yeah, I think the more upfront you are with information, again, this goes with functionality, the more information you can provide in the most useful way, that's just going to help with your conversion. And again, it depends on the industry. Now, if you've got, if it's financial and you have industry secrets and, you know, some of your information is, you know, pay to know kind of, um, on a need-to-know basis, um, then yeah, sure, you might need to schedule schedule a meeting. But, you know, if it's just like, I don't know, um, learn how to use, oh God, I can't even think of a program right now, like coolers, coolers.co. I use them all the time for like color mm-hmm. palettes. Like I shouldn't need to schedule a demo to learn how to use coolers.co. First of all, it's intuitive. And two, I would rather just watch a, a quick 15-second video on how to do it. Like you don't need to have that client touch point Every single time. Yeah. If you can give me the information in under three minutes, that would be best for my soul. The fourth thing is overall poor design. 
And let's be honest, when you compare two websites, your eyes appreciate a visually aesthetic design and the value of the content makes you stay. And sometimes it's a difference between a user deciding to go with, for example, a traditional mortgage company um, over somebody who is a private lender. So like, for example, a Wells Fargo site is going to look more polished, exude expertise. They've clearly got a system in place, but it's also very impersonal. But on the other end, a visually disjointed website can also say it's homemade and DIY. And while prospective clients are trying to give their money to somebody, um, they're not looking for somebody who can afford to cut corners with design. So by launching a site with a strong sense of design, you have an opportunity to reach ideal clients by bridging the gap between like the Wolf of Wall Street, super polished versus the Main Street up and coming. Um, you want to show that polished look, but also have the, you know, we're personable enough that we'll remember your name when you call us. Yeah. I'm going to say something a little controversial. Uh, Go ahead. I think I've told this since before. You don't need a website. You could function for a website without a website for a bit. Like you could just work at your business. Like if you have to like divide your money, I know because I'm going to charge you. Uh, if you if it's a matter of like, let me get this off the ground using other resources and let me have a website that's going to be poorly designed. It's OK to not have a site sometimes you could have or you could do like a quick site or something like that um, to just get yourself out there. But I think that like we are prioritizing digital spaces because we are digital designers first, but also the world is very digital in a lot of different respects. But you can leverage other types of social in order to get your business and your name out there. Like you can have a Facebook page about your business and you can send customers there and they can still reach out to you. It's not a platform that you have to maintain in so many respects aside from like posting content and whatnot every once in a while. But like you don't have to have a full-fledged design that needs to be amazing and beautiful and aesthetic. And it should be when you get it to the point where you need to. But it's worth sometimes, in, in, from my perspective, saving up the extra couple of thousand dollars and making your website right the first time and not having to redesign it in a year or six months or whatever the case is um, and just leveraging some other type of social media than like putting yourself into a design. Um, so I think that that is a mistake that people make sometimes. Yeah, um, I think you don't necessarily need a website off the get-go, but you do need to grab that URL. ASAP yeah. because God forbid somebody else gets the same business name as you and now you're competing over URLs and or you've got to add numbers or hyphens or God forbid a dot net site. <laughs> but I did have a client. He came to me, um, didn't have a website or maybe he did. It was like just, he launched it quickly when, you know, he didn't have a lot of disposable money for the website at the time and came to me for a website redesign and launched it. It wasn't expensive, but you know, it just had some more thought and time into it. And um considering the industry, it was uh landscaping. When you compare landscaping websites, there's the guys who are like, well, I don't do websites. I'm gonna do this myself and I'm gonna launch it just to have something up online. And then there's people who are like, okay, I gotta spend just a little bit of money, then I'll launch it. I'll put my own pictures on there. And he said that his clients specifically mentioned like how nice the site was as like a contributing factor. So I think it, it it's a little bit of both. Like don't rush into it. Don't just spend money on a site if it's going to sit there as a 
poorly designed business brochure. Um, It needs to serve a purpose. Yeah, but I'm like, I'm a local handyman. I'm like, I don't care if he got a sign. Can you mow the grass on Thursday or not? Like, that's what I need to do. (laughs) That's where your Google reviews comes in. (laughs) I know. I'm like, because, you know, there's a tree that fell down uh, in the backyard of my mom's house. And we were, you know, looking at tree removal sites, which let me tell you all, so expensive. I cannot believe those prices. Um, I thought I was charging an arm and a leg, but apparently I have nothing on tree removal services. But, um. It, their website never played a factor in, you know, if I was going to purchase with them or not. It was the reviews that I read on Google about, you know, how efficient they were, how long it took, what the communication was like and, and things of the like. So, you know, as a designer, I don't think I looked at a single website for any of those companies. Actually, that's a lie. Sure Green. I think I looked at their website and then realized they didn't do tree removal and reached out to them about cutting my grass and that they sent me pricing that I didn't like. So we never spoke again. But for the most <laughs> part, for the most part, I uh, I didn't look at any of their websites. I looked at how good they were at their service. Um, and sometimes that's enough for the beginning. I agree that at a point you need a website, you need a house for people to come to, and there needs to be effective design on there. But in the beginning, was I like, oh, if the kerning isn't right on this tree removal site, I'm out of here as a designer. No. I was like, is it, can you do it tomorrow? Or like, what's, what's your schedule? What can you do to make this happen? Um, and then I haggled the price down. Uh, so uh, I think that, I think that website design, absolutely wonderful. And poor design definitely leaves a bad impression on the people that you want to. But you can leverage other things. Yeah, you should absolutely leverage your Google My Business page. It's free to make. Go ahead, create it. They're gonna Google's gonna send you a postcard to your house. It has like a six-digit code. You enter it in. It just verifies that you're a legit business. You don't have to say, you know, I live at 123 Maple Lane and have that posted on for the public to see. But Google needs to mail the postcard to 123 Maple Lane just to verify that you're real. And then once you start to get clients, um, get those testimonials because even if you don't have a website, you're still going to look at the testimonials. I had to get my um, my roof replaced back in, I think it was January. No, it was December. And I was like, man, God forbid I get a heavy storm and my roof starts leaking because there was holes. This was an old house. There was holes in that roof. Um, and I did, again, it was like, I don't think the company I chose had a website, but they had 5,000 five-star reviews. And that's what I went for. And how they did this was... They would give you like maybe $300 off your roof if you left mm-hmm. a review. So you left a review before you paid the final invoice. And then they took the money off. So That's it was very smart. smart. And then, you know, they then when they're on the job site, they take pictures and send them to your email. So they're like, please leave a review, upload these pictures, and we'll take off $300. So <clears throat> they they were like... They didn't have a website, but they knew how to optimize for online. So um, I think it's definitely better to have that presence on Google with the reviews or however than to have a really poorly designed website. Because how are you going to be like, you have 5,000 five-star reviews and this looks like it was built in 1999. Like, just, just take that aspect out of it and let the reviews speak for you instead of, you know, a really poor design. 
Yeah, I just yes. went and got a service done a couple of days ago. And uh, this morning I got a client experience is very important to us. We love feedback. Try writing a review and it takes me to their Google My Business page. Um, and then it says, like, if you feel like there's a reason why you couldn't give us a good review, please email us. So we have an opportunity to fix any issues that you have prior to writing your review. Thank you in advance. And I was like, oh, I guess my, <laughs> I guess my experience was good. I guess I can sit down and write something. Uh, but like even something as simple as sending an email to people to say like, hey, you know, try to help other people find me. I think that people are willing as long as they had a good experience. Uh, but I tend to see that people don't write reviews for businesses unless they had a really, really great experience or a very, very bad experience. And then people will sit to, sit down to take the time to write. I should know. I just wrote five pages, essentially, about a restaurant that I went to that I absolutely hated and was charged for a bunch of food that I did not eat. And I hate those people. Um, <laughs> hate is such a strong word, but it's up there, close to the hate. Whatever the word underneath hate Despise. is, it's right there. Despise is a good word. Thank you. Yes. Um, I despise <laughs> those people. Uh, and I did. I'm I'm one of those people who will write a bad review way before I would write a good review. I think because of my work with websites and SEO, um, I try to make a point once a year to sit down and be like, okay, what small businesses did I use this year? And then I go leave reviews. And then I post all that on LinkedIn and Facebook and tell them to leave reviews for each other. And I don't know if anybody ever listens to that. But then it also helps me realize how few small businesses maybe that I use. Um, yeah. But I mean, heck, I'll use it for the hair cuttery. I, I did that. And I was like, this is a great location. Both my boys sat in a chair, no cries. And when a lollipop fell on the floor, they gave them a new one. Like, you don't want hair in your lollipop. So <laughs> and then and then there's that interaction because they replied and they're like, oh, it's so great to see your boys. I don't think they knew who I was. But the fact is that they engaged with me after the fact. Yeah. So. Um, I don't even know where I was going with this, Monique, but. <laughs> <laughs> All of that to say, uh, you don't Leaving necessarily reviews, good or need bad. a website, but <laughs> reviews are um, intricate, um, integral to your business. All right. The last, number five, definitely not like the last as in like all the many reasons it's time for a new website, but definitely like one of the big ones. Number five is there's no conversion or lead generation. One of the very best compliments I received from a client was two weeks after the launch, they said, Jessica, we signed three new clients since the launch. They all cited the website as a strong determining factor because they found all the information they needed. They had the form. They had the onboarding stuff. And I was like, awesome. That's what we like to hear. And for them, like three clients, that was like a, that was a big number. Um, considering the income I was bringing in. So, um, but if your website is just sitting there as a, a digital business card and you're not generating leads, then it might be time to consider a different route and a different strategy. Yeah, we worked on my project. I can't remember how long ago it was at this particular meet. Uh, it was like one for, of our first projects. Yeah. Uh, for a um, company uh that had an investor and nonprofit side of the organization and the rebrand was color palette typography web styles template iconography website content brand messaging marketing all the stuff in between user experience um <clears throat> and as a result of the redesign we saw a 157 increase in customers making it to their application page 
we saw a 262% increase in filling out the application form and then 142% rise in MQLs from the site, um, getting higher quality leads than what they were getting. So, you know, uh, if you can leverage user experience properly and you can um, have the right type of uh, lead generation on your website in an effective way, you can get the results that you're looking for as a business. And sometimes that, you know, you won't get those numbers off the bat. It requires a little bit of finesse and things like that. But, you know, at, in this company's respect, they were able to leverage a lot of good traction in order to get the rise in numbers that they wanted from qualified leads coming to their website. Um, and I think that their ideal client range was like, how can we attract million dollar clients? Um, so we were able to do that with them. And we built this website in a week or a month. Yeah, I think we launched it. It was a month. And those are damn good results for, you know, what was it like two weeks after? Yeah. Or something like that. Those results were coming in and then, you know, they checked back a month and the numbers were still strong. Um, I think one of the ways you can achieve this is instead of using a generic form or like a third party form that takes you off site to make your own. So for that one particular client, we use Typeform, which could help determine the ideal client. So if you were answering questions like, oh, does your business uh, generate $100? hundred dollars in revenue a year versus does your business generate a million dollars in revenue every year? Like if somebody answered a hundred dollars, they would go down a different route and be like, oh, unfortunately we, you know, right now we can't work with you. Uh, just sign up for a newsletter. But if you did the hundred mil hundred million dollar client, it would take you through all these other steps to determine like, okay, what kind of business are you? Uh, how many people do you have on staff? What kind of funding do you need? And then that would help trickle in the correct form of clients, um, which just makes it helpful for you and the team. And then you can kind of prioritize and, you know, find the right client for you. Yeah. I think that that's what these forms are supposed to help you do. It's supposed to help you get people to navigate down the path that you want them to go, depending on the information that they're providing you with. So the way that you treat a million dollar client is different than the way that you treat a $50,000 client. Um, a million dollar, you know, in revenue client qualifies for investor funding, whereas someone who is generating only $50,000 a year, they might have to go into an incubator program so that they can get to the place where the million dollar client goes. And that for that client, that was the path is if you had $50,000, you went into the incubator program or you could apply for the incubator program and go through that so that they can help you beef up your business and information. And if you were a million dollar client, then they wanted to start seeing your books and understanding your revenue sources. Uh, and how things were happening so that they could get you investment money if you needed it or if that's a path that you wanted to explore. Yeah. And conversion and lead generation doesn't necessarily have to be from a form mm -hmm. and how effective your form is. It can come from any of the other things we talked about, like website speed, functionality, the call to action, and the design. Those are all contributing factors into getting that that lead. So they all work together. Um, and so when you think about your website, you have to ask yourself if all the parts are moving together or if it's just kind of at a stalemate. Like, do you have a digital brochure and business card that people are just going to throw in the bin or do they see the mechanics of it? Do they see it's all working together and they can get from point A to point B and have all their questions answered and they're ready to take the next steps? 
all of that to say, hire us. We are good. Return on your investment. <laughs> yeah, we've got some stats. <laughs> Ask us about stats. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think we'll just leave it at those five today. And if you have any other questions or you have some other items you'd like us to talk about in return in regard to um, signs that it's time for a new website or things that affect your website speed or functionality, uh, leave us a message and we'll address it on one of the upcoming episodes. Bye, guys. Bye. As we wrap up our captivating journey on today's episode of Design Imposter, we want to leave you with an empowering message. Self-doubt may be a universal experience, but it should never define your worth or potential. Embrace the power of your unique voice, trust in your intuition and abilities, and continue creating fearlessly. Remember, you belong in this space and your contributions are immensely valuable. Know that you are never alone on this journey. We stand by your side, ready to support and celebrate you and your business every step of the way. Thank you for joining us today and being an essential part of the Design Imposter community. Don't forget to subscribe, follow us at Design Imposter Podcast on Instagram and Facebook, and leave a review to help other imposters find us. Until we meet again, keep those headphones ready.